So I, I thought I'd do something a little different this morning and start off with a quiz. Seeing as it's, it's spring break, nobody's here, we, maybe we should just get in a big circle, right? And just, just circle time with Papa, that's all. We're just going to talk. And so I thought you could help me out um, on this quiz. I'm going to go through the last 200 plus years of history, and uh, not all of history, but look at significant Christians in the last 200 plus years. And if you, know, if you know who they are, you can shout out their name, okay? Beyond that, uh, be quiet. But if you know who their, na- their name is, uh, you can shout it out, okay? Um, let me start with this one. I think it's pretty easy. Who's this? Bonhoeffer. Yes. Bonhoeffer was a pastor in Nazi Germany who stood up to the Nazis and, and even his own church um, went along with the Nazis. He said, no way, and he broke apart from that. Here is one quote that he's very famous for. Silence in the face of evil is, is evil itself. How convicting is that quote? I know. It's one of those, ah, ouch. He, uh, he became a part of a movement called the Confessing Church. Uh, and he stood up for Jesus, and it cost him his life. I, I believe it was a few weeks before Correct me if I'm wrong later, not now. Um, a few weeks before the war ended, he was put to death in a Nazi prison camp. He was a martyr. Okay, this one's a little tougher. Who's this? <laughs> last, last service, someone said, and they meant it, which is scary, uh, the librarian? <laughs> yeah, a significant mover and shaker for the kingdom of God in the last 200 years was the librarian. But he is rocking that cool sweater, though. I do love that, right? This is Andy Vanderbilge, otherwise known as Brother Andrew. Brother Andrew, he's still alive. Brother Andrew became one of the first Westerners to evangelize uh, behind the Iron Curtain. He is called God's smuggler. He risked his life over and over again to get Bibles into communist countries. Today, millions of Bibles later, Open Doors International, Brother Andrew's organization, is still taking Bibles to people who are starving for God's word. Okay, how about this one? Yes, yes, Sojourner Truth, good. Now, Sojourner Truth um, was not her given name. She was born into slavery in, in the state of New York, upstate New York, about 1797, and her given name was Isabella. And you say, what was her last name? Whatever her slave owner's last name was. It was just Isabella. Isabella was sold to four more owners, and she finally walked to freedom in 1826, holding on to her infant daughter. She settled in New York City until 1843 when she had a vision. She had a vision. She had a dream from God. God told her to change her name to Sojourner Truth. When asked why she changed her name to Sojourner Truth, she said, and I quote, The Lord has made me a sign unto this nation, and I go around, that's the sojourner part, testifying and showing on him their sins against my people. And testify she did. This illiterate ex-slave was a powerful figure in several national social movements, speaking forcefully for the abolition of slavery, women's rights, the rights of freedmen, temperance, and prison reform. Okay. How about this couple? By the way, you guys who grow beards, unworthy. (laughs) Brother is rocking a beard, man. Woo! Looks great, right? Anybody? 
William and Catherine Booth. William and Catherine Booth, these two experienced huge, huge conflicts within their church. You say, well, why? What was the conflict in their church? Um, because they had a passion for taking the gospel to whoever would listen. And their church wasn't fond of that. They eventually found a small independent ministry in London's East End among the worst conditions and the most hurting people, a ministry that became known as the Salvation Army. William Booth once said this. To me, it might be the greatest quote ever. It's prophetic. He said it in the 1800s. Enjoy this quote with me. It's my favorite. He says, I consider that the chief dangers which confront the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, and heaven without hell. I, you can clap for it. He's in, he's in heaven with Jesus, but he's probably enjoying that right now, right? That's a prophet. That's a prophet. How about this one? This might be the toughest one. Who said that? R.G. Letourneau. Who, who went to Letourneau College? Raise your, it's a, are you, stand up. Yeah, stand up. He got his master's there. He got his master's. Let's give, let's give Rodney Stanfield a big hand. Because you got to be really smart to go to Letourneau. No one in the first service was worthy, but you are. Wow, you are more nerdier than I thought, Rodney. I love that about you. You say, well, that guy, what's so significant about him? One of the greatest businessmen ever. One of the greatest ever. He dropped out of school at, at, at six years of, six, pardon me, sixth grade. Sixth grade. And he went on to become one of the greatest manufacturers of, of he's just a brilliant mind, of heavy moving equipment. He had plants in four continents, over 300 patents. But you say, Lee, is that really the big deal? That is a big deal, but here's the biggest deal. He made, um, most, most scholars believe, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars. He lived on less than 10%, and he gave 90% of it away, for the, and still is, because it's been put in endowments, for the advancements of the gospel. Woo! You think, you think business people matter? We'll talk more about that. Okay, last one. This is easy. Here you go. Jim Elliott, thank you. When you see it in color, it kind of throws you off. We're not used to seeing that. He looks like a college student that could be sitting right over here, right, when they're here. He looks like that guy. In 1956, Jim and four other men were martyred trying to share the gospel with the Wadani people in Ecuador. Jim is famous for these words. I only hope that he will let me preach to those who have never heard that name Jesus. What else is worthwhile in this life? I have heard of nothing better. Lord, send me. Now, you weren't ready for that quote, were you? You thought, all thought I was going to give you this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. And he gave it. He gave it. By the way, most of his quotes, because he died so young, come from his journals that he wrote um, as a college student at Wheaton College in Illinois. What's one thing they all had in common? Well, all of these people, it's pretty obvious, they share a relationship with Jesus Christ that motivated them to live out that relationship in tangible, intangible and real ways at significant cost to their own lives. Welcome back to our series in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the New Testament book. Do me a favor, if you haven't turned there already, 
turn there. If you're looking at your Bible, it's going to be to the right, far right in the New Testament. Turn to your Bible app or open your Bible app. Um, if you would like to, and I highly recommend it, you might want to go to the Version Bible app, and my outline is there, and you can take, you can take notes off of my outline. And I, and I already know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, Lee, what's the connection with these six lives and the Thessalonian church? Here's the connection. It's what, it's what Jim said last week, and I can't stop thinking about it. They, like the believers in Thessalonica, were, and I want you to see this quote, transformed by the raw spiritual power of the gospel. Like, that's what the gospel does. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, when imparted to us, it changes us. It transforms us. It makes us something that we weren't before. We go from, the Bible says, from darkness into his glorious light. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 13 says that when we make that decision to turn from our sin and turn to Jesus as Savior alone, Savior and Lord alone, that we are baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to reside in us, transforms us, and gives us resurrection power to do the things that we just talked about with those those six stories. That's the connection. And that's what sets them, the Thessalonian church, and us apart as followers of Jesus. We've been changed by the gospel. We've been changed. We're, <laughs> what I used to be, I, I am no longer. And because of the raw spiritual power of the gospel, this little church, has, as Jim pointed out last week, turned from idols to the living and true God. Not only that, they suffered for that gospel, and they became a model for other churches of, of what it means to follow Jesus when it is not culturally acceptable to do so. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, I love this, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith. Now get this, is this tombstone stuff? Your faith and God has become known everywhere. Could that be said of us? Lee, your, your faith in God, let me tell you, it's become known everywhere. So, this morning in our text, we're going to see Paul's passion for this faithful little church plant. And, and then we're going to look at his passion for discipling these new followers of Jesus. Okay, let's start with Paul's passion for the church. Chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was, was not without results. A little sanctified smack talk there. Paul can do it. He's allowed, right? We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. Jim talked about that last week when they were kicked out of Philippi for preaching the gospel and exercising a demon from a girl who was making money. for. I mean, this was kind of the same story over and over. Some places they were able to stay. Others, they get kicked out. Later, they're going to get kicked out in Thessalonians. I mean, actually, they're already kicked out. He's writing this letter back to them. He says, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. Verse 3, for the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. 
On the contrary, we speak as those, those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but we're trying to please God who tests our hearts. Wow. You know, we, we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Verse 6, we were not looking for praise from people. Wow. I mean, this is identity stuff, right? Like often we're just like we're dancing all the time. God, I'm doing all this so people look at me and, and they say good things about me and make me feel good. And, and Paul's like, I, I got an audience of one. <laughs> it's you, King Jesus. I, I love you, Church of Thessalonica, but I, I love King Jesus a whole lot more. He says, we're not looking for the praise from people, or nor, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our apostolic authority. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children. Verse 8, so we cared for you because we loved you so, so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our, our lives as well. Let me read verse 8 again to you, but really, really slow. This is so important. Because he's building to this place. He begins to use a mother analogy, like a mother to a child. He's like, I just loved you so much. He says, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel, underline these, these last few words, not only the gospel of God, but our, our lives as well. Can't you just feel the, the passion and the love and the care and the concern of the Apostle Paul, for Jesus' bride, the church. And immediately as I was studying this this week, the Holy Spirit said to me, how about you, Lee? How about you? Paul goes from macro to micro. He's not just talking the universal church. Paul loved the universal church. The universal church is easy to love. Why? We just names and maybe faces and we never hang out and it's not intimate, it's not intentional, we don't do life together. It's easy to love somebody from afar, right? But Paul says, when I get up close and personal, like a mother, I just wanna bring you in and give you a collective group hug and speak blessing and love over you. I wanna hang out with you. Is, is that your desire for God's church, for God's people? Let me give you one word. There's a couple words we could use, but one word to describe what Paul is, is talking about. It's the word community. Paul basically says, we didn't just come to share doctrine with you, but we came to share our lives. We're going to share some doctrine. We're going to preach the gospel, but... We're going to do life together. That's community. And I know that at the mere mention of that word, um, people often eye you as if you have dropped in from another world. They, especially first world people, right? They smile, to they, they tolerate you, and they hope that you change the, the subject. I mean, good, sensible Christian folk say things like that. Why? Because they fear that you're going to tell them that they have to sell all they own, move to a farm, wear overall bibs, and raise peanuts. That's what they're worried about, right? That's what they're concerned about. Or, or that they have to abandon their fertilized lawns and move to the inner city or a third world country. And because many misunderstand 
the idea of community, many Christians don't want to think about it or, or talk about it or, God forbid, live it. But let me say this, we desperately need it for us to be all that God wants us to be. Quick definition of community, then I want to give an illustration that I hope fleshes this out. Christian community is simply sharing a common life in Christ. It moves us beyond the self-interested isolation of private life. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? It moves us beyond the self-interested isolation of private lives and beyond the superficial social contacts that pass for Christian fellowship, quote-unquote. The, the biblical ideal of community challenges us instead to commit ourselves to life together as the people of God. You know, there's no other design, right? Like community wasn't a plan. It was the plan. The one and other passages found throughout the New Testament weren't optional. They were absolutely necessary for survival. You say, man, I got Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, my Bible, my podcast, my television. I'm good. How sad. Community is, is life on life, flesh on flesh. It's tears. It's nonverbal. It's sorrow, it's stories, it's transparency. That's community. It drips from one person to the next and it's caught. That's community. That's it. Let me give you, there's thousands in our body, I would say at least hundreds of examples of tremendous community that goes on. Let me give you just one because I want you to see how it, it progresses. Okay, just one example of community. This is Joey and Katie Divis, another beard, amazing. I, I, wow. My wife won't let me grow a beard, but that's another message. She says, you can have a beard, but you don't get kisses. No beard, no beard. And they have their, their two children there, Blakely and Parker. And they go, to, they go to New Heights Church, but four years ago, they, they didn't. They didn't go to any church. Um, they weren't married. And they were trying to figure out how to do life. That's a powerful statement, isn't it? Like we, often those of us who sit here, praise God, we're like, I, I think I know what I'm doing. But for most of the rest of the world, they are clueless. They're faking it. Trust me, I've been there. Grew up in families that way. They're faking it really well. Some not so well, but he, he said, we were just trying to figure out how to do life. Joey's um, dad knew Jim Hall. They fished together, and Joey was wanting to, to marry Katie, and he didn't know who to ask, so his dad said, and I quote, ask Jim Hall, he's a preacher, right? Preacher for hire. And so Joey, which is no small thing, Joey was scared to death, he told me, to meet with Jim. Um, Jim is... is He's easy on the eyes, but he's a little intimidating, right? That's what Pam would say. And so uh, he can be a little intimidating. Joey says, I was intimidated, but I went to him. Four years ago, I went to him, and I asked if he would officiate my wedding. And Jim looked at me, and he said this, and I wrote this down verbatim. He said, do you believe in Jesus? He said, uh, yes. He said, uh, I probably should use my Jim Hall voice, shouldn't I? Yes? Okay. Do you go to church? Uh, no, 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 sir. As the future leader of your home, you're going to need to take your family to church. 
okay. Have you been to premarital counseling? No, I won't marry you without it. Won't do it. Uh, I don't know if he said that, I added that. I thought that was, you know. <laughs> I'm off script a little bit, but not much. Joey says, well, how, how do I get it? My church, New Heights, does a marriage mentor class. You need to sign up. I'll tell Lee you're coming. <laughs> Joey said, who's Lee? <laughs> oh, he's my co-partner in crime. Okay, <laughs> I'll sign up. And he did, and we connected him with this couple. Buck and Kelly Boger. Buck works for Tyson. Kelly's a hairstylist. They have an awesome family. Super, super couple. And they became their marriage mentor. See the, the train of community? They got on that train. And they begin to hang out and do life together outside of just being marriage mentors. And eventually, Buck said, well, this is what Joey told me, Buck said, you have to go to our community group. You don't have a choice. <laughs> and so he did. He, they invited him to the community group. And, and this is where they met this couple right here. Trey and Leanna Robbins, who co-lead the group with Buck and Kelly. The Bogers and the Robbins, which, by the way, they've been a part of or leading that group for 10 years. I asked Trey, man, that's a long time. How do you do it? He said, I can't live without it. He said, I'll, I'll, I'll go bad places very quickly if I don't have community. Wow, that's a whole other message, Right? So the Bogus and the Robins and everyone else in the group began to care for Joey and Katie and their family. And a lot of stories began to come out of that over the last four years. I said, Joey, give me just one. Joey told me that when their son was born, he was premature. This is the stuff of life. And he was put in the NICU. And, and he and Katie, as you can imagine, their world was rocked. They're like, we don't know what to do. Well, the community did. And the community came alongside them and began to give them meals nonstop and began to pray with them and give them scripture and encouragement and hugs and loves. And then Joey said this. To me, this is the coolest thing. I wish, as I sat with him at Starbucks this last week and I heard the story, tears began to come down his eyes. He was so emotional and so passionate. He said, you're not going to believe this. But they literally, they came to the waiting room. And they had community group right there with, with us at the hospital. And he said this. He said, Lee, we had church at the hospital. Joy wanted me to tell you a couple things. He said, you've got to say this. And so I, I wrote it down. And he said this. And I told Bruce he can steal this. This is one of the best quotes ever. He said, and I quote, the smaller community within the bigger community has changed our lives. Let me get to preaching here for a little bit, and I love you, okay? This isn't enough. This isn't enough. The smaller community within the larger community, this is the larger community. This is the top of our funnel. We're grateful. We're a, we're a celebration cell. This is the celebration. The cell is community, highways, byways, day in, day out, Monday through Saturday. That's the cell. That's where life takes place. He goes on to say this, and again I quote, it took a long time for me to realize that I was a broken man and I needed Jesus and community helped me to figure this out. Whoa. From our text, we see that Paul had a passion for the local church. And secondly, we see from our text that 
had a passion for discipleship. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul continues, Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel to you. Underline, we worked. Sometimes Paul would go into a community and whether he had donors who gave him money or that community could afford him, he would go and he didn't work. But often Paul would go into a community and you've heard the phrase, a tent maker. He literally made tents. Now I want you to visualize this. He had such a passion and love for God's people, for the word of God, for discipleship, for the gospel to go forward, that this old, most scholars tell us, was a bow-legged, arthritic, beaten-up Jew, most likely pretty short, Culturally, that's what they were. This old, beaten-up, arthritic, bow-legged Jew who's preaching the gospel, this rabbi, is also pounding out tents. Let me just say something. I want to publicly apologize. At New Heights, we have not done a great job of honoring people who work in the workplace. I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive us. That's going to change. Did we do that on purpose? No. No. But the reality is, the reality is 99% of you in this room, you're not going to go on the mission field. You're not going to adopt a kid from Rwanda. You might, but most likely not. You're not going to be a pastor, a full-time pastor. There is no difference between the sacred and the secular when it comes to calling. Your secular calling is just as great as my my sacred calling. It's no different. It's a calling. Paul says, hey, if i got to work, I'll work. Praise God. He said, you are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children. Okay, now get this. He goes from mother analogy to father analogy. This is what he says. He says, we encouraged, we comforted, and we urged you to live lives worthy of God. This is discipleship who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Notice that Paul uses three words concerning discipleship. I want you to see these because they're really important. Because when you're discipling people, which by the way, we're commanded to disciple people. We'll talk more about that. This is really important to encourage, comfort, and urge All of these things are are necessary in helping others grow in discipleship. Sometimes people need us to cheer for them. Sometimes they need um, uh, us to help them get up after a disappointment. That's comfort. Sometimes people need a kick in the pants. Can I get an amen? Amen. But let's do the first two more than the latter, right? They need someone to urge them to live a life worthy of, of God. Let me use a dad illustration because that's what Paul does. Um, A good dad doesn't use the same tactic all the time. He's diverse in his training. Paul, let me give this example. Um, Let's say you're learning how to ride a bike. When a child is learning how to ride a bicycle, a dad will say, at least a good dad will say, right? You can do it. He'll encourage you. On those times when the child falls, dad is there to pick them up. Hey, you okay? You're all right. Let's get back on. You you can do this. 
just need to keep trying. When the child says, and children will do this, parents, right? They'll say, no, no, I'm done. I'm going to quit. You have to remind yourself you're the parent. They're not. They don't know what they know, right? You've got to do that. But you don't just yell at them. You don't shame them. You lovingly say, hey, um, if you give up now, you aren't going to learn how to ride your bike. Then you won't be able to ride bikes with your friends. You'll get this. You just, you can't give up. A good dad uses different tactics, but is persistent with his child. Now, I could go on and on about discipleship. I'm passionate about discipleship. If you know me, I'm very pragmatic. Number one, Jesus commands it, so I'm going to do it. I'm not the best at it, but I'm going to do it. Number two, this thing called Christianity doesn't continue if we don't do it. I'm just pragmatic. Like somebody's got to do it, and I'm commanded to do it. So I, to me, discipleship's really important. I could talk forever, but I'm not going to. I want to bring someone up and, and let them share about how they disciple. Christina Disler is a 2013 graduate of the University of Arkansas in international business. She's been attending New Heights for seven years, and for the last three years, she has worked as a sporting goods buyer for Sam's Club. And I asked her, I said, Christina, why did you choose business as a career? And this is what she said. She said, working at Sam's Club as gives me an opportunity to give God the glory by doing an excellent job. Isn't that awesome? Not only that, I get to be Jesus to my to my coworkers. She says, not only that, but quite frankly, in the business world, I can reach people there I wouldn't otherwise reach doing something else. So I've asked Christina to come on up. Christina, come on up and share how um, God has used her to disciple a coworker in the business business place. Christina, um, tell us about Emily. Yeah, yeah. Um, So the first time I met Emily, she was an intern at Walmart, and a friend had reached out to me and asked me if I was willing to meet up with this girl. All I knew is that she did not have a relationship with the Lord, and I was like, okay, you know, I'm I'm willing to. So you worked at Walmart at at Sam's? I I worked at Sam's But you were working with the interns who Uh come in. That was part of your job. Yes. I was working with the interns and was co-leading a summer intern Bible study. Um, and another friend had met this girl named Emily who didn't partake in the Bible study at the time, but she was looking for um, community. And so I um, met with her at lunch, and it's um, something that the Lord has been teaching me. I'm not perfect at it, but there's a verse in Psalm 90 that says, may may the favor of the Lord rest upon us, establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And so that's something that I had been praying leading up into getting lunch with her, of like, Lord, go before our conversation, open up doors as you will. And so I met with her at lunch, and she... Um, just really opened up to me. She shared with me how she was going to school in Pennsylvania. Um, She was in sorority Greek life and was caught up in the party scene, but coming to Arkansas for the first time ever, she saw what just holistic fun and just good community looks like. And so I, um, it was really neat because that opened up the door for me to share my own personal testimony because I had been in Greek life. Greek life, I got caught up in the um, party scene. Which, by college. the way, it's hard to believe uh-huh. she got up and caught up in the party <laughs> scene, isn't it? Yeah. Well, yep. Everyone has a history, so. Um, but... none, of, none of you seemed all that surprised. Is it just me? <laughs> I am naive. Go ahead. Um, well, praise God for the transformation. Amen. <laughs> um, so, 
so yeah, so met up with her and just had a great conversation. And honestly, it was the end of her internship. So I thought that was it. Um, she left, she went back to Pennsylvania to finish her senior year of college. And um, a year passed by, didn't hear anything from her, whatnot. Um, and then a year later, she reached out to me because she had just received a full-time position at Walmart. And um, she asked if we could connect. She didn't really know anyone in the area. And so I was like, of course, I would love to. And we met. And she had just shared with me that she became a follower of Jesus. And, wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> so, but she, I mean, she didn't really know anything. Um, she... Um, just had a lot of questions. She had a lot of questions about the church and just about the Bible. And so we started meeting together and it was that time again for the summer, summer interns to come in. So um, I was leading another um, intern study and she joined me and she would just listen and she would just listen to truth. And then mm -hmm. on the weekends, we would get together. We would meet up at coffee shops. That's us there at Lake Fayetteville walking. We love to go walking Which there together. There is an anointing at Lake Fayetteville <laughs> yes. for sure. Um, if you and, haven't been, go experience the Shekinah glory of Lake Fayetteville. It's phenomenal. Yeah. It is amazing. And so we just started walking and talking and getting in the word of God. And it has been so neat to see the Lord just transform her life. I remember one of the first times um, we got together after she became a follower. And at, at the end of us meeting, I was like, hey, can we pray together? And she was like, I've never prayed out loud before. And I was like, that's okay, I'll pray for you. And so we, um, so we prayed and um, it's just been neat to see the Lord's work in her life because now we still get together, but um, instead of me initiating in that, she'll say, hey, Christina, let me pray for you for this, for this. Wow. And wow. Um, I So don't, the disciple mm -hmm. is becoming the disciple. Yes, yes. Wow. Um, and so that's been neat because even though um, I first was encouraging her, it's this mutual encouragement now. And she, I don't think I share this first service, but she now works at Sam's Club, which is awesome. She's on the same floor as me. So there's been times where we get together. Um, if she needs encouragement, she'll come to my desk or vice versa. And we'll just step away from our desk and wow. hide out in a room and pray. And it's been really neat to see the Lord just working in her life and working in my life as well, just to see her teachability and um, just that childlike faith. So. That's good. Give her a yeah. hand. Thank you, Christina. Thank you. Really good. Wow. Uh, I became a follower of Jesus at the age of 17, and I shared the gospel with everyone in my family and my friend group. And my mom responded, and my brother and my sister, but my dad just wouldn't, he just wouldn't receive it from me. And so many of you know the story, but some of you don't. For 17 years, I prayed that God would bring a Christina Dissler into his workplace. A spirit-filled woman or a spirit-filled man who was passionate about excellence and passionate about King Jesus. Uh, my father was a workaholic. He was good at whatever he did. And he could sniff out people who weren't really good at what they uh, said they were good at. And so praise God for someone like Christina this, who's going into places that many of us just can't go. I certainly can't go there. So, so grateful for that. Yet, I already know uh, um, what some of you are thinking let me just dispel this, because this is the enemy, right, or your flesh. You're thinking, I, I can't do this. I'm, I'm not a theologian. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a, I'm not a missionary. Um, by the way, Christina is none of those. But let me tell you what, what she has been. These two things right here, it's real simple. She was available and she was present. Not, not perfect. 
Did you hear what she said? She called me and said, do you want to hang out? I said, sure. Want to get a cup of coffee? Great. I'm doing a Work Matters Bible study. You want to come? Yeah. Want to go walk Lake Fayetteville? You bet. I don't know how to pray. Well, let me pray. That's it. You say, well, what's your secret sauce, Lee? I usually open the Bible, read the Bible, um, talk through the Bible with somebody, pray, ask them about their life. That's it. Let the Holy Spirit lead. The Word of, the word of God and the Holy Spirit are pretty powerful. <laughs> pretty powerful. God just says to me, Lee, show up. Just show up. One less activity, one less hobby, one less whatever. Come on now. Come on. Okay, back to the Thessalonians. What was the result of Paul's discipleship? Well, we find it in verse 13. He says, and we also thank God continually. Why? Because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a, a human word, but as it actually is. This is powerful. Underline this, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Paul was, was thankful for the Thessalonians. He uses two words in, in verse 13 to explain why he's thankful. He uses an objective verb and he uses a subjective verb. The objective verb, you can see it on the screen behind me, is the word received. Paralambano in the Greek. Literally, it just means that, that Paul spoke forth the word of God, not the word of men. And the church went, yeah, it's the word of God. We objectively, we objectively receive and believe that. We're going we're gonna to take that as, as truth. Like we're used to people, as Jim said last week, like we're on the tip of the Aegean Sea, the Ignatian Way, the gateway to southern Europe. And so every charlatan, every false teacher comes through here and they try and indoctrinate us with satanic teaching. They try and take our money and we're used to the opinions of men. But Paul, when you and Timothy and Silas came through and you spoke forth the word of God, we knew it. That was the word of God. They objectively received it, but they did more than that. They did more than that. They, they put it into practice. They put it into practice. Here's the second thing they did. They accepted it as the word of God. You say, well, what's the difference? This is a different verb, dekomai. It's a subjective reception. This word means to literally welcome a visitor into your home. This is the hearing of the heart with application. It's subjective. First word, objective. It would be like the visitor shows up at your door. You open the door and you go, hey, there's a visitor. I acknowledge you. Second word, accept. Come on in. I acknowledge you. Right? Objective. Subjectively, come on in. Let me minister to you. Let me, let me be hospitable to you. Now the word goes from the mind to the soul. This indicates their initiative in eagerly embracing the message and then putting it into action. They didn't just hear the words, but they did something with the words. You say, well, what does it look like? Verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, you became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You you received the word. 
You heard it and you believed it. it came from God. You accepted the word. You then began to put it in action. And when you began to put it in action, you begin to imitate not only me, but Jesus. And when you begin to imitate Jesus, sometimes you get persecuted. Sometimes you suffer. It is a, it is a message contrary often to the culture that we live in. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus, and you suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. That's why Paul's thankful. You heard the word. You accepted the word. You put the word into action. Hey, please hear this. If the word of God doesn't change your life, you better evaluate because the Spirit of God takes the Word of God and He just messes with us. He just messes with us. At this time, I'd like the prayer team to come on up and the worship team to make their way back up. And while they're doing that, let me just challenge you. Let me just challenge you. I don't want to shame you. That's not what I want to do. I want to encourage you. If you have been struggling with community, change that. Talk to, talk to Bruce and his team about getting into a community group. Be a part of 30, 40 different ministries here at New Heights alone where you can serve and do it in community with others. We desperately need each other to be all that God wants us to be. Maybe it's discipleship, and, and as I said earlier, the world, the flesh, and, and the devil have been telling you you can't do it. That's a lie. We have to do it. How does the good news get passed on? How do we get formed to the image of Jesus Christ if we're not walking with other people? I'll, just, I'll be real candid with you. When I was a new believer up until even this day, I'm just running after disciples and mentors and people who will speak truth into me. And even if they won't do it, I just watch them and take notes. I'm like, you're mentoring me. They're like, no, you're, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. I'm following you. I'm watching you. I'm learning from you. Lastly, how are you doing with the word of God? Do you objectively believe that it's the word of God, not the word of men? And if so, what does it look like in your lives? What does it look like? We were telling a, a group of um, pre-marrieds last Wednesday in our marriage mentor class. And Jim and Pam came and shared basically what it looks like to live out the ethos of Christ in a marriage. And it was powerful. And I got up afterwards and I just said this. I said, you know, if there's one piece of advice I can give you is actually believe what the word of God says and live it out. If God says not to go to bed angry, don't go to bed angry. If God says to forgive as you are forgiven, forgive. If God says to share the gospel, share the gospel. If God says to disciple people, Jesus commanded it in Matthew 20, then do it. You say, well, I'm not Chandler. I'm not Piper. I'm not Billy. Who is? Are you kidding me? I'm just some schlump from Southern California, just some guy from a dysfunctional family who heard the gospel at 17 and haven't been the same since. My pedigree is pretty bad. Dad married four times, mom married three, addicts all mixed in there. 
This is your time. This is your moment. You know, you don't get another one. This is it. Let me pray. While you're sitting there, and as we often say, in your own private altar there, do business with God. Do business. Here in a few minutes, you're going to have an opportunity to come up and take communion. We have communion tables, what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. It's beautiful. It's awesome. Spread around this room, and you have an opportunity to deal with your stuff, confess your sin, and get things right, and then say, Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your shed blood. I couldn't be forgiven without your blood being shed for me. Thank you for your broken body. Thank you that as the church celebrated in Corinth, in Corinth, you're coming back. Go take communion and find somebody to take it with. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I, you know, I, I've never been baptized. Well, we set the baptismal up every week. Our, our setup team is faithful to set that thing up. It's hard to do. And maybe you're like, you know what, I just haven't done what Jesus has commanded me to do and that's to be baptized, to tell the world I'm a follower of Jesus. My sins have been buried and I'm rising up to new life. Maybe you're sitting there and you're like, you keep talking about the gospel, Lee, I'm not sure what that is. The gospel is the death of Jesus, the sacrifice for our sins because for all have sinned. He was buried, but he didn't stay there. He rose, he conquered our sin, he conquered death to give us eternal life. The gospel is you saying no to your sin and yes to Jesus. I wanna follow you and trust you as Savior and Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for the six lives that we looked at, by no means perfect, but they were faithful. Thank you for their testimony. Thank you that they were changed by the raw power of the gospel. Thank you that you've changed us by the raw power of the gospel. Help us to be a people that live together in community, who disciple one another, and who believe in and live out the words of the living God. We ask this in Jesus' name.